And we want to praise God for being a part of this experience. We want to praise God for his glory. We want to praise God for his presence. And as we prepare ourselves to hear the word of God today, the Lord has sent us a manservant. He's a well-qualified minister of God, retired, credential under the Southern Union, Seventh-day Adventist. This man has four children. His wife, former Dr. Pamela R. Sams passed away just a few months back. Retired teacher. And they have four children, Richard, attorney, Tamila, youth educator, Royal Rollin, doctor of autometry, and Shireen, who is with him today. She is going to be our songbird that will be leading us in our concert uh, tonight. She's a professional vocalist. We're asking you to come out at 7 o'clock to hear her and celebrate. And also, he has a tribe of 12 grandchildren. He is a well-decorated man under the ranks of Abraham. He has served as the president of the Quebec Conference, um, educator, minister on four countries, Jamaica, Bahamas, Canada, United States. He has served as a high school principal, education superintendent, conference treasurer, pastor, president. But more than anything, I want you to know that this is a man of God. And he has a word for us today. And we're asking you to stay tuned, pray for him. And pray that the Holy Spirit will lead as the Lord connects his word with his people through his manservant, Dr. Sams. Before Dr. Sams, we will hear from his daughter, Shireen Sams, that will lead us into the spoken word. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church. It's really an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm always grateful to be in the house of the Lord, but pastor, I didn't know if I was going to be here this morning because that plane ride was, it was scary. <laughs> it was a little bit scary, but I, I feel so blessed to be here with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and so humbled to know that we have a father, someone who loves us so much that he would die on the cross for us.
have a little pause, so I guess I, I'll just keep on talking until we get some music. Uh, I, I flew here yesterday from Orlando, and um, there it's very hot, like it is here, but very humid. So I'm getting used to the, to the dry air here, but I love it. It's beautiful, and I know that, that uh, this is a wonderful place to live. How many of you um, have been here and haven't moved here, but have been here since you were young? Okay, so this is like, this is like Orlando, where most people are transplants, right? <laughs> All right, so I'm at home then. I, mean, I think since we're having issues with the sound here, um, we can... It's a privilege for me to be with you today. And uh, I can't express it fully. It's in my heart. I know it's a privilege to be in God's house. And when I say that, it's not cliche. Because um, some years ago, you will hear my daughter in a minute. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm so glad that this happened because I like to hear her just before I preach. And I have a little introduction to do, I'm not preaching yet. But uh, some years ago, I was working so hard that I had um, a transient ischemic attack. And um, it the way it happened is that a pastor was with me when it happened, and he was able to see to it that I got the medical care at the time. It happened at a hospital while we were visiting. And so after that, I realized only if I were alone, and that happened while I was driving a car on the highway, I mean, there's no hope. And uh, so after that, I always say, thank God for the privilege of being here. And when I get behind the pulpit, I have to thank God for that. It's a privilege to speak for him. And so I just want you to know it comes from my heart. Now, about 12 years ago, I was listening to the television like anyone else. You listen to the TV and the radio, and you hear, your, hear the news. And the news I heard shocked me so much that it changed my life right away. The news was simply this, that um, the United States of America had reached a point where over 50%, at the time I think it was 51 or 52% of all marriages in the United States would likely end in divorce. And I said, what? I'm a minister, and I'm marrying people all the time. I've never seen an unhappy couple come before me to get married. And yet, 50, more than 50% of them don't survive. And then on top of that, another 30% or so are living in misery anyway. All right? So, actually, as I thought about it and studied it, only about 5% of marriages are really happy. And I was shocked, and I made up my mind from that point that I was going to spend the rest of my life discovering why couples end up in divorce. And on top of that, I wanted to know how I could serve and help to save as many as I could. So I talked to my wife. She agreed to join with me. And since that, we've been in ministry now for about 12 years. 
until she passed away about a year and a half ago. And so I just want to say thank God for the privilege of speaking for him in this manner. I have found out exactly, precisely, scientifically why people end in divorce. And I want to share it with you. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have a driver's license? Would you put your hand up, please? Look at that. I mean, everybody seems to have a driver's license. So it means you can drive, you got permission to drive. All right, another question for you. How many of you, when you leave the sanctuary today, I don't know, they're serving a meal today here? Yeah, okay, all right. Well, I don't know what you're doing, but you're going in your car and you're ready to, to exit the parking lot. You've turned the key and nothing happened. All right? How many of you will be able to fix it? Just, all right, a few hands went up, but just assume, just assume, just let's assume that it is um, a fuse, a fuse that controls the, um, say, the, the, the ignition. All right, let's say, I wasn't going to say ignition, but I'll settle for that. All right, and how many of you will be able to detect it and find that fuse and fix it? A few hands went up. Marvelous indeed. At least you have some good people here. None of you should have trouble. Well, I have, I have owned more than 20 cars in my ministry, driving a lot. And I can tell you one thing. If that happened to me, I would be stuck. All right. If somebody doesn't help me, my car would be sitting there for a long time. All right. So it tells me that the people who raise their hands that they could fix it means that they have some skills. Would you agree? All right, and the rest of you who have a driver's license and can't fix it means you need to learn something about your car. Maybe you don't care. But at least you need to find somebody who knows how to fix it to help you. Would you agree? Yes. Well, that's what has happened. I was married for 48 years. And at the 38th year, I realized my marriage wasn't going as well as I wanted. And so I decided to find out what to do about it. And when I discovered it, my marriage started taking off into paradise. And uh, I said, it's simply because I did not know how. And I want you to come this afternoon at 3.30. We'll talk some more about that, all right? God bless you, and we look forward to um, a very good time this afternoon. Now, I would like to invite Sister Anne-Marie up on the platform for a moment, if she would indulge me just a minute. She's somewhere in the audience, someplace. Above all nature and all creative things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before this world began. And above all kingdoms and above all thrones, above all wonders this world has ever known above all wealth and treasures of this earth there's no way to measure what you're worth Cru 
rejected and alone like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all, above all power and above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before this world began. And above all kingdoms, and above all thrones, above all wonders this world has ever known, above all wealth, and treasures of this earth. There's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified and laid behind a stone, you live to die, rejected and alone like a rose. Trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Oh, you were crucified and laid behind a stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone. Trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me. As I've been said, I have been to many places and preached for many years, about four and a half decades, and I've listened to many um, rendition of music but this morning as I heard that team sing I, I was lifted it was very special to me and I want to thank you for that music um, your praise team this morning were very beautiful music and I think the congregation can sing well too because you joined in pretty good also appreciate my daughter she has been singing um, sharing my ministry from she was 17 years of age Ever I can get her to sing. Most of the time last weekend I was in Jacksonville doing a series like this, except they went to Sunday, and you don't maybe like Sunday, so we end the day, but they went to Sunday. And um, the week before that I was in Orlando, and I had the privilege of having her then, but um, 
this uh, past week I didn't have her, so whenever I have her, I'm glad. And I thank you for the privilege of having her join me in this series. Um, I want you to do something for me. Um, before I get started, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'd like you to look at the clock anywhere you see one or watch if you have one, or open your, your, uh, your phone if you have one and look at the time and see what time it is, okay? Do me that favor right now. Okay, you got it? You know what time it is? All right. Well, I'm going to ask you never to look at your watch again until I'm done. Okay. The series I do, I usually have a quiz before the presentation. I usually do it on PowerPoint, which we have been doing during the week. But on Sabbath morning, I always like to open the Bible and just preach from the Bible. So we're not going to do a PowerPoint or anything like that. I want to preach directly from God's Word. Do you have a Bible? Would you raise those Bibles? Wonderful, wonderful indeed. You know, people stop taking Bible to church, you know, but you are different. So I'm happy to see all those Bibles, and some of you have it on your phone and on your on all of that. That's fine. We are going to preach from the Bible today. In fact, the sermon will be on four chapters of the Bible. All right? But I'll do my best to make sure I don't keep it too long. But before I begin each presentation, I usually have a quiz. I'm going to ask the pastor to assist me and uh, see if you can render that quiz for us. Listen to this. Um, because Samson committed suicide, he will be lost. True or false? Because, okay, how many of you believe that it is true? How many of you guys believe it's false? All right, the answer is false. Because Judah, a son of Jacob, lived a holy life, he will be selected as one of the 12 tribes of Israel. True or false? How many of you believe it's true? How many of you believe it's false? All right, it is false. All right, you guys are doing well. It is clear from Scripture that Samson here was a source of his strength. Is this true or false? How many believe that it is false? How many of you guys believe it is true? The answer is false. Oh boy. You'll hear more from that afterwards. All right, number four. Samson's faithfulness, faithfully used his strength to fulfill God's um, purpose in his life and the nation of Israel. Is this true or false? How many believe that it is false? How many believe that it is true? All right, the answer is false. The Bible says that Samson fell in love and married a woman named Delilah who betrayed him. Is this true or false? All right. How many believe that it is true? How many believe it is false? The answer is false. <laughs> hey, don't stone me. <laughs> Number six. According to the Bible, according to the Bible records, Samson's parents were fully 
uh, were faithful to God and followed his instruction in raising Samson. Is this true or false? How many believe that it is true? How many believe it is false? The answer is true. <laughs> Number seven, Samson stated, Samson stated that his purpose for bringing down the Philistine temple was revenge. Is it true or false? How many believe that it is false? How many believe it is true? The answer is true. <laughs> All right, number eight, just two, three more to go. Uh, because God never gave up on Judah and Samson, we have the assurance that God's amazing grace will respond to our requests for pardon, even though we, have, we make serious mistakes. Is it true or is it false? The answer is true. All right. Two more. A man whose father was his grandfather became a foreigner, a, a, a forefather, sorry, of Jesus. A man whose father was his grandfather became a forefather of Jesus. Is this true or is it false? Or you don't know? <laughs> the answer is true. <laughs> All right. The last one in the book of Hebrews. Samson's, Samson was named among the faithful. God's trophy of salvation. Is this true or false? How many believe that it is false? How many believe it is true? The answer is true. Thank you very much. Did you like that? Thank you very much, Pastor Madden. Well, the whole idea is to get tease you up a little bit so you don't fall asleep on me. You'll be looking for some of the answers that we preached today. All right, so now that we are together, and by the way, this afternoon, I'm going to be pulling apart ideas about men and about women. And women, most men don't understand women. Did you know that? That's why they're having trouble at home. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that this afternoon. And what is more, you know, some time ago I was running a seminar and I said that, and, and somebody shouted out, I hope the men's, um, um, the men's uh, presentation will be longer than the women's presentation. So I said, yes, because men don't think they need to learn anything. So I made it two-thirds to the women's one-third. How is that? So ladies, you'll be smiling this afternoon. The men's much longer. All right, so I hope everybody comes out to hear that. Now, what I'm going to invite you to do now, and I hope the musicians can help me out a little bit. If not, then somebody with some musical ability want to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat> Thank you. 
loving Father and our God, we have listened to the rendition of musical, beautiful music. We have listened to prayer. We have offered ourselves in prayer. We have shared in our offering. We have done different activities, Lord. But now we come to this spoken word. Please, Lord, attend us now. Open our minds that we may perceive our, your truth and our hearts that we may accept. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When God created man and woman, he had a purpose, a very specific purpose. And he intended that man and woman should live together happily and enjoy the relationship. But beyond that, God had another purpose far more important. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and as we read from verse 5, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I remember I told you I'm going to be using the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, you may want to read it with me, if you find it quickly. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Even if it's a different translation, it's fine. Read it anyway. And uh, verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Are you reading with me? Am I hearing you? Verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as fronted between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. How clear is that? The purpose that God established the family was to perpetuate his name in the earth. Make sure that there's a way that man could learn to know about him, to know about his law, and to follow and obey him, and glorify him in the world. What have we had over these past centuries and millennia. What have we had recently in a few, just a few weeks ago? We saw the devastation of man as the families failed to live up to their obligation. And we are going down a hill faster and faster in our society today. You know, um, it's rather interesting how God operates. I don't know if you have noticed this little point that I'm going to make, but when God has a problem in the world, for some reason or the other, he finds, he uses a strategy to find a person to represent him. Did you notice that? I noticed that very definitely. In other words, God has a problem, and he searches around in the world to see if he can find somebody to stand for him somebody to speak for him. And so, it so happened, the Bible, as we turn now to um, our message for the day, four chapters of the Bible, Judges chapter, chapters 13 to 16, and I'll go, I may, obviously we'll not be able to go through it all, but let's see what we can do. Judges chapter 13 to 16, we hear, we find here the story of Samson. 
And as we read at the beginning of his story, it says, chapter 13, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Forty long years they were in subjection to their enemy because they did not live up to the obligation that God called upon them to do. And so God was looking throughout the earth, looking to find somebody to speak for him. And uh, if you turn with me now to Ezekiel, he turned with me to Ezekiel, and we look at chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. And we look at verse, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's look at verse 26. Her priests have violated my law, have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the clean and the unclean. And they hid their eyes from the Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. So even the ministers are in trouble here. So God can't bless the nation because even the ministers are committing evil in his eyes. So what of the people? And God looked out and he brought the people under bondage. And while they were under bondage, God looked in the earth to find one man that could stand for him. I don't understand this. And I think about the world today that we are living in. And I look at the decadence we are in. And I'm wondering what God is doing right now. And it says in verse 30, and I want you to read it with me. Verse 30. We are in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. Are you ready? And I sought for a man among them that he should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But what? I was shocked at this because I said to myself, how is it possible? God has so many people calling themselves Christians and he's looking for one person to stand for him when he has a problem and he couldn't find one. Not even one. What of today? What of today? As God looked throughout your congregation, he has a problem. Can he find one that could really stand for him no matter what? So God made one. God decided to make one. And we go back now to Judges 13. And uh, God said, all right, I can't find any, so I'm going to make one. And he says, he, verse 2 of chapter 13, we are in Judges, he said, and there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife barren, and beer not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, but now, behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. God even working a miracle here. And he tells her, and he tells them, the couple, because they happen to have been dedicated to him sufficiently. He said, no, I'm going to create a man. And he's going to be a special man. And we know him as the strongest man that ever lived. He has a purpose. He's going to represent me in the earth. Now, you may ask, now what can I say about the story of Samson? Even the children in Sabbath school and Sunday school, they're growing up, they know the story. Now, nothing more to say. Just a story, right? 
But I want you to look, see if we can find some lessons from the life of this man. This man was created specially for a purpose. To carry out God's will. And the Bible says specifically, he is creating this man to rescue his people. Let's see what he did. Now, first of all, I just say that the parents did a good job. And uh, if you look at Numbers, um, somewhere there, chapter 6 or so, it tells exactly what a, a Nazarite should do. And one of the things they should do is to wear a long hair. It was a vow that they had taken, which includes the long hair. But the hair had nothing to do with his strength. All right? So now... The parents did what God asked them to do. They trained up this young man to protect him. I don't think in this society today we understand the importance of parenting. If you're going to have a child that's going to grow up with moral fortitude, going to have a commitment to society, to serve the society, to lift God's name up in the earth, you as parents have an obligation. You can't run away from it. It's a solemn, sacred obligation. And if you don't do your job, Ellen White says this, that you may let go someone on the earth that will create havoc. And so the parents knew their job. They sent this young man to church school. Protect him from the evils of the world and society. Give him a chance to grow up, you know, in the hands of teachers who understand how to teach him how to love God and understand how to deal with society and build moral character. Because if you give the, your little infants to a society out there where people are ungodly, what do you expect? So when you protect your little ones, and that was, we know money is always an issue. And when we were growing up our four children, we made up our mind no matter what. When they are a little bit, they are going to the church school, no matter what. And um, so when they got a certain age, then I said, well, I'm looking for the best school I can find. But when they are young, they need to be. So the parents did their job. And the Bible says at the end of chapter 13, and the woman bare a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move at times in the camp of the Dan, uh, Dan between, sorry, the camp of Dan between Zorah and Esalon. So the parents did their job. The Lord took him over. He had the Spirit of God in him. The parents did their job. Now here's a young man, chapter 14. He's now trained by his parents. He was brought up right. And after the parents do, have done their job, they can do no more. It's up to that child now to take over and follow those principles. If you abandon the principles, you're on your own. And so Samson, let's see what happened to him. Chapter 14, you want to read that with me? And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistine. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said what? And the poor parents were frightened. No, I brought up my child to understand moral principles. I brought up my child to understand what is important in a character. And the first thing he does is to disobey his parents. 
and disobey God in the process. Let me tell you something. You never want to walk out of God's favor. You never want to walk out of God's favor. And um, Exodus chapter 34 has something for us that I hope you listen to it, especially young people today. In Exodus chapter 34, and um, I, I'm not going to read all of it, but you can read it on your own, but let me give you a little bit of it here. It says, verse 10, Exodus 34 and verse 10, it said, Behold, I make a covenant, said the Lord, before all the people. I will do marvels, such as have not been done in the earth, nor in any nation, nor all the people among uh, which thou art to see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do. In other words, God's saying to these people, I'm making a covenant, an agreement with you. I'm going to do for you marvelous things. You're going to succeed beyond your imagination. All right? But I'm going to ask you to do something. And what is it? Verse 12. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest. Let it be for a snare in the midst of thee, but ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And he con you continue reading here, and he said, verse 16, and thou shalt and thou shalt take of their daughters unto that. No, let me go back up a little bit here. I was trying to skip down quicker than I should. Let me go to verse 15. Okay, thank you. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, they go a whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou shalt eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Now in other words, God is saying to you, saying to his people, to us too today, don't make a mistake. When you're ready to get married, marry somebody who honors God. Because if you don't, the evil influence is going to lead you into a place you don't want to go. And then you have trouble beyond what you can manage. So God made a covenant here to these people and say, no, don't, don't do things that will get you into trouble. So Samson, first thing he did was to disobey his parents and disobey God. And um, what happened to his life? I look at Samson's life in these four chapters, and I found there 10 Serious errors he made in his life that wrecked his life. After God chose him, created him in his own hands for a purpose. And uh, I want to share those with you. The first one is to disobey his parents. And by the way, before I even move on, parents, you know, are people, I should say here, because young people do some things they shouldn't do, and they get pregnant when they shouldn't, and they go get an abortion, what if this woman had said, you know, after all, I don't want this young man, and aborted him, you know? In the state where I live, the state of Florida, in one year, they had over 90,000 abortions in one year. So I'm just saying to you here that life is sacred, and you have the opportunity, the freedom of choice not to do it. But after you do it and you get pregnant, it's out of your hands. 
It's too late. But this young man went and chose a woman he shouldn't have chosen. So his parents were in shock. But anyway, they support him. They knew, had the good sense to know, once your child makes a mistake, don't abandon that child. You know, there are a lot of parents that come in nowadays. I get a lot of calls and um, over the years as well. And women say, look, my child went on marrying somebody I don't like. Should I go to the wedding? I said, it's your child. You better go. Because you don't want to abandon your child and you lose your child. That's ridiculous. It's your child. Claim your child no matter what. All right? Your job is to never give up your child. It's your child. God doesn't give us up, does he? All right. So you don't want to give up your child. Now the second, that was the first mistake. The second mistake is that found in chapter 14 and verse 10. So his father went down unto the woman and the Samson made there a feast for so the young men were to do. And it came to pass that when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Whose companions are they? Whose companions are they? They are the woman's companions, right? Not his. So you get into a bad company and it gets worse. Because these young men don't have him in their um, favor at all. So they went and found out the riddle that he gave and now Samson got angry and that's the third problem I see here verse 18 and I, I'm not going to read it because you know the story of Samson anyway and Samson got angry and went and killed some people and took away their clothes and satisfied the, the thing. Now he did not take personal responsibility for his error and it's the problem we have in our society today is that when people make mistakes, they blame somebody else or something else. If you make a mistake, own it up. Because that means you won't make it again because you realize it's your mistake. But if you put it on somebody else, you keep making the same mistake, getting into further and further trouble. Samson, and then um, I'm moving along quickly here because, you know, I need to do that. All right, and so chapter 15, just we're moving along, chapter 15. And we look at verse, verse 1, verses 1 and 2. Samson came back to get his wife as he had left her in the huff. He was angry, left his wife. And when he came back to get his wife, what had happened? His best man at his wedding now has his wife. He was angry. Never you lose control. A Christian should never lose control. If you ever lose control, then that thing controls you. And you know, my favorite, one of my favorite texts in the Bible is very complicated. I'm going to, it wasn't in my plan to read it, but I'm going to read it for you. It's a little bit complicated, not that bad, but it's in Romans 6.16, one of my favorite texts in the Bible. I don't know why I chose it, but I chose it as a young man. And um, it says Romans 6.16. What does it say? You found it? It's a little bit complicated. I'll agree. All right. It says, it says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It's a little complicated, I agree. But if you look at it closely, and I chose it as a young man, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey. So if you get angry and you lose control, that's is your master. So I vowed as a young man never to let anything control me. 
I don't care what it is. I will never be out of control. The only control I have is the divine control. I don't want to be anybody else's master. So whether it's whatever it is, I could name some things that control people, but I leave that alone for right now. All right. Um, I, you know, I, I, I would like a little help now on the screen, just a little bit. Um, and uh, I just want to just, just show you something for a minute. Maybe should have given you a little more notice. Decision making. Some of us do not understand how we act. Yeah, you know, with the things we do, we surprise ourselves about some of the things we do sometimes. But I want to, you to look at the screen for a moment, and you'll see there how decisions are made. All right? You want to do something. I don't mind what it is. You want to go to church. You want to go home. You want to, you know, whatever it is you do. Anything you want to do, whatever it is, it's called a will or a desire to do something, whatever it is. And before you can perform the action properly, you need to pass it to your conscience and your reason. All right? What is the conscience? That which tells you whether it's right or wrong. Okay? And in that conscience, the Holy Spirit abides. Now, you also should pass it to your reason. Well, and, and in the reason is the law of God, the word of God abides there. Now, well, I think the reason is right and wrong, and in the conscience is whether it's good or not to do, good or bad to do. And after you pass it to those two, it comes to the emotion where you decide if you like to do it. Now, I'm not going to take the time. I would illustrate this for you. Maybe if you're not happy with that this afternoon when we come together, maybe I'll give you some more. If somebody asks, I will do that. So if you want to do something, you pass it to your conscience and your reason and down to your emotions, and then you do it. However, the next screen, you may wonder, how come good people do bad things? Like a very good person just does something you, you can't imagine how they did it. And it's because they have practiced, they have started to practice something that nullifies the, the way they are supposed to operate. They want to do something, they block out their conscience, and they don't bother to reason about it, they just goes to the emotion. Now you can't see some lines, some lines are supposed to be there, but you see you block that out and you go straight from the will to the emotion. So you want to do something, you just do it. Now how is that? How is that? We have some texts that we could put on there too if you want to write them down and look them up. I'm not going to go through them with you. If you give us the next screen, maybe the good folk can write them down if they want. But the, the Johns Hopkins University has done some research on the brain. And what they have found what they have found, are you going to give us the next screen? What? Yes, there you go. You can write them down. I'm not going to go through them right now. But what they have found is that when we do an action, we perform an action, there is, they could see the electrical impulse creates a line in the brain. And if you do the same thing again, 
that line gets stronger. And if you do it again, it gets stronger. The more you do that particular action, your brain it registers, and they can look at that and see it happening. And so after a while, you do it without thinking. I was living in a house, and my wife decided that she wanted a bigger house. So we decided to move out of our house, rent an apartment for a little bit of while while we look for another bigger house. We have 12 grandchildren. So when we all come together, how many of us? 21 of us. And the house were just a little bit too small for all of us. So while I was doing that, we went to the store one day to buy some groceries. And when we were on our way home, where do you think I, I ended up? I almost ended up at the house I just left. Because I did the groceries, put them in the car, start on my way, and I realized I almost reached the home I just left. How did I get here? Has that ever happened to you? Just driving and you, you don't know how you got to where you got, and you park the car and realize, how did I get here? Because it's registered in your brain already. It's automatically, you just, you know, it's a, you know, your brain gets used to it. So, you commit sexual act the first time. It was hard to do because you know you shouldn't do it, right? But then, you do it a second time, it gets a little easier. And after a while, you don't even have to be tempted anymore. You fall into it even without temp being tempted. Now, here is the thing with, um, thank you very much. Here, thank you, I really appreciate your help back there. Here's the thing with Samson. Samson found this woman, and he fell in love with her. Now, do you know something? I don't know if young people have heard this, but when I was growing up, I always heard they said, love is blind. Ever heard that? And I thought that was just a cliche. But do you know that scientifically it's true? They have found, after scientific research, that when a person falls in love, I call it the romantic love syndrome hits you, right? It leads to a suppression of a part of the brain that controls critical thought. And you no longer can think straight. So you wonder how your parents are looking at this fellow or this girl and say, no, you shouldn't go with this person. But you can't see it. Because certain hormones have been released in your brain and it leads to blocking off and beclouding critical judgment. So you are, the problem is there, but you can't see it. You're in love. So poor Samson didn't know what hit him. Because he fell in love. <laughs> and he didn't follow his parents' advice in the first place, so now he's in trouble and he doesn't even know he's in trouble. <laughs> All right? So that's important to know that you need other, other important assistance as you go forward in such an important decision, young people. Now, let's go to what else is Samson's situation here. Let's go to chapter 15 and verse 18. After Samson killed a thousand men, one of the greatest feats of his life, it said, and he was sore afraid, athirst, and called on the Lord, and he said, Thou hast given me this deliverance unto the hand of thy servant, and now I shall die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. This is a prayer. 
Now, I noticed in his life, only twice he prayed. Only twice. And both times, he didn't know how to pray. All right? In this case, he's blaming God after God had given him the greatest victory he ever achieved. Never you make the mistake of not praising God. Thanking him for the blessing. Now you get into a little trouble and the trouble overwhelms you and you forget to thank God for the blessings you have even to deal with the trouble. By the way, when we come to the conscience we're talking about, in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21 it says, and you shall what? Hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left hand, here is the thing, here's the thing. Don't give up on me yet. Here's the thing. Don't fall asleep. Here's the thing. Samson did not seem to be, did not seem to have a prayer life. Some years ago, a study was done of Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists. And the study was to find out what is our, how do we function as, as Christian people. And I'm not going to give you all the statistics right now, but I'll tell you some of them that shocked me. One of them is that the 18, under 18-year-olds, 18 when they looked at them, they found under the 18-year-olds that only 18% of them pray daily. 30, and, and of the 25 to the 45-year-olds, um, the first group was the 18 to the 25. Correct that. And then from the 25-year-olds to the 45, only 30% of them prayed regularly, daily. And then, what shocked me even more, only 34%, I want you to listen to this, 34% of Adventist people in North America, as the research was done, did not have family worship. 34%. And then, to make it worse, it says that over 30% of them did not read the Bible. And uh, 20%, I think it was. And 12% of all the statistics, 12% of us never pray. So, how then will we survive in this world? With all the temptation. And, all, and you know about that in Las Vegas, don't you? I mean, there's a lot of glitter down here and I come here. With all the temptation and all that's going on, how will you survive without prayer and without the study of the word and without calling on God for help? Samson didn't understand that. And then, that's chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, I want you to read it with me. What it says. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. Now, this was a beautiful man that God made here. I mean, a handsome man, tall, good physique, had everything. They would call him a hunk today, you know. I said, nice fellow. And, um, and so the girls loved him. But he did not understand women. That was one of his great um, limitations. Didn't understand women. We're going to talk about this this afternoon. You know, God made women special. Did you know that? Women are different from men. Very different. And they have something they call influence. 
that the poor men don't understand. And, and, when, and when they release a little bit of that influence on the men, they can't take it. All right? So this poor fellow didn't understand women. And so he ended up going down and down, and one caught him here. And you know, it's marvelous with God. Even while he was committing sin, God helped him. It's a marvel with God. While he was committing sin, they trapped him in the city and thought they had him. And God gave him the strength and the power to lift up the gates and the posts and carry him on a high mountain. God helped him even while he was sinning. Marvelous God. And I'm going to end it here because, you know, we have constrained with time. I'm going to the seventh error that he created, that he, that he made. Seventh error was he found a woman by the name of uh, Delilah. And um, he didn't get a chance to marry her, by the way. Remember the quick quiz? Never got a chance. You're just getting started. Just getting going. And he got trapped. You know why he was trapped? He married the wrong woman. Uh, he was interested in the wrong woman. You see, young people... When you get between the ages of, I would say, the early teens to the 20s, just about there, to the early 20s, you have three important decisions to make with your life. If you make a mistake with any one of them, your life could be wrecked beyond recovery. All right? The three, the three important decisions you have to make. One, you have to decide on your life's career. And it better be one that is going to make a contribution to society, not running after money. All right? Second one you have to do is to choose a life's partner. You begin, anyway, to choose a life's partner. Don't make a mistake with that one either, because your life could be wrecked. And the third one is your spiritual commitment to God. If you don't have that, you have no foundation for your life. You cannot resist temptation without the whole help of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know something? A lot of people just give in to what Samson gave in to. And I'm going to quickly take you to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to end it here because obviously you have time constraints. And 1 Corinthians, I'll jump this very quickly for, for us here. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says something about moral standing that poor Samson uh, didn't withstand. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse um, 15 says, Know ye not that your bodies are what? The members of Christ. Then shall I, then, how then can I take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. And the word harlot here, if you read it in context, it doesn't mean somebody who is selling their bodies, by the way. <clears throat> Anybody you have sex with outside of marriage becomes a harlot. And he appealed to the Garden of Eden here. He said, look, in the Garden of Eden, there is um, Adam and Eve. Put them together. And he said, when they came together, that made them a couple. There's no other condition. And so if you go and join to somebody else, if you have a wife at home, you go have relationship with somebody else, no, you got a new wife. The first wife is gone. She may have mercy on you, but um, basically you have given her up for somebody else. 
So Paul is saying here, your bodies are the temple of God. Now, listen. Uh, he said, let's continue. He says, what? Know ye not that your he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Because once you have sex with somebody, you become one body with that person, one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. <clears throat> Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinned against his own body. So it's sin of fornication is worse than other sins. Some people say all sin is sin, not at all. Even in the Greek language, they have different words for sin. One is hamartia, one is parabasis, just for example. Different sins are different. And so Paul is saying that the sin of fornication is greater than all the other sins. Why? Because with the sin of fornication, any other sin you commit, you're stealing something, you grab it with your hand, you tell a lie, you use your brain. But when you commit fornication, you use your whole body to do it. And so it's greater than any other sin because the entire body is involved. And uh, what he says, verse um, 19, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Don't think that body belongs to you. It belongs to God. And if you take it and use it in another way, God is going to charge you for it. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God. Now the word temple here, the Greek language was the is the most accurate language that maybe man has ever spoken. In it, when we say certain things in English or whatever language, it may mean a lot of words, you know, uh, we, I mean we use the same word for a lot of things. And, but when it says temple here, even this word here, there are different words for temple. Because, you know, the temple had different parts to it. You know that, right? Court of the Gentiles and the holy place. You know that, right? You understand what I'm saying. It has different compartments to it. So when the Bible says temple, it uses a word for that. But when it's talking about the most holy place, it uses another word. Which word do you think it used for this? It uses the word that signifies the most holy place. Naos. So your body is a temple of God, meaning the most holy place only the priest can go in there once a year. And if he has any sin, he doesn't come back out alive. And that's what God says your body is. God dwells in you, you cannot corrupt it. If you do, then you pay the price. Samson, unfortunately, did not live up to his obligation. I'm not going to continue further on that. I just say to you that one of the marvels of God's grace is that he never gives us up. You know, when I read in the Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Samson became one of the trophies of God's redeeming grace. And I said, how is that possible? Because it also says that a young man that was born in disgrace, Pharez, in when you go home, you read it in Genesis 38, born in disgrace, he became a forerunner of Jesus Christ. In fact, he, when he was born, he was born to a father, a his father was his, really his grandfather. And he became a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, verse, chapter, verses 1 and 2. God's uh, grace is beyond our imagination. No matter what you have done in life, no matter what it is, he forgives you. But you have to come to him. You have to surrender to him. There's no other way. 
Some years ago, Fanny Crosby, the blind songwriter, went to a, an orphanage in Brooklyn, and she was moved by the, with compassion by the people who were in their poverty, and uh, you know, in distress, and they had wrecked their lives. And she said, is there anyone here who did not take the advice of your mother? Would you come forward? Among those that came forward was a young man, and she hugged him and embraced him to her breast. And uh, when she was finished, she, she was on her way home, and words came to her, beautiful words, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep for the erring ones, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. For down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. If only touched by a loving heart, awakened by kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. God is ready and willing to forgive us, no matter what it is. No matter how deep we have gone, he will rescue us. We need to call out for help. We need to ask him to help us. May God grant us that kind of salvation. Shereen, would you just sing an appeal for us? What I'm 
searching for of compassion Oh, nothing wrong within Please hear me, Lord Give me your heart like yours Please hear me, Lord Give me your heart like yours A heart like yours It's my desire Oh, Father, yes You know it's what I'm searching for like yours Please hear me Lord Give me your heart like yours Salvation is not complicated It's very simple You know how simple it is? Remember Peter? Walking on the water, started to sink. What did he say? Shortest prayer in the Bible. All he said was, Lord, save me. And Jesus Christ reached out and saved him just in an instant. That's all we need. This morning, no one should leave here with just saying, without saying, Lord, save me. Jesus Christ will save you just as you are. Pastor, you may want to help me here. I'm sure you have a desire to see anyone who is not saved come to Christ today. Could you help me out a little bit here? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As we have heard the word of God, we have seen in the life of Samson, this man that was plucked um, for a reason and brought in the scene to be an ambassador of God. He messed up his life. He messed up his life. He I mean, he did more things, more stuff than a lot of us have uh, ever done, even I've ever thought of done, doing. And Samson, he wandered away, wandered away, as you have heard, um, slept with prostitutes, uh, he, uh, he ate unclean stuff, he, he connived, he did all kind of things. He actually misrepresented God. I was a Samson, and I'm pretty sure that some of you were Samsons or Samsonettes. But you know, the, 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 the great thing about God is that God never gave up on him. Amen. Down to the end of his life, when Samson was, his eyes were plucked out, and he thought that that was it. He made one final prayer. One more time, God, he said. God, one more time. And the Lord came down in Samson's life. The Holy Spirit came down, filled him, and his strength came back. And this man that was desolate, this man that had nothing, he, that connection with God was broken, but God heard his prayer and reconnected him, plugged him in, and the power came back. He was recharged. He was like that Popeye. He became that man. 
that man that God could use. And Samson, he went, and you know the story, he went by the pillar, and he destroyed that temple. That in his death, in his death, he was able to accomplish more in that army, in that, in that battle, he was able to accomplish more. I know God, he has not given up on any of us. If you're hearing my voice in this audience, perhaps on the internet broadcasts, over the radio, God has not given up on you. God responds to SOS prayers. Lord, save me, Peter. Samson, one last call. And salvation came to Samson. Today, there may be someone that came to church today. And you want to say, Lord, I want to send up an SOS. I am in need. I want to surrender. I want to give my life to you. If this is your desire, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. We want to include you in a special prayer. Praise God. Just raise your hand. If this is your desire, you're sending that SOS, Lord, I want salvation. I don't want to be playing around anymore. I want salvation. I'm asking you just lift your hand and stand with me. Stand with me. We want to pray for you. Lord, time is far spent. We know you're coming back again. And some of us, Lord, we're playing Russian roulette with our life. We know, Father, that the path that we are walking, it's a path that would lead to destruction. And it were it not for grace, Lord, where would we be? But Samson serves as a testimony. He serves as a testimony that God, he responds, that responds to us, Lord, even in our deep time of need when all hope seems to be gone, Lord, you step in and salvation comes. I'm asking, Lord, for your divine anointing to be upon each and every person that is standing even now. They're standing in the need of prayer. They're recognizing that they need a Savior. They're recognizing that they don't have the power, but God has the power. Lord, we have messed up our lives so many times. We have wandered away into sin, Lord, and sometimes it seemed that we would not come back. But Lord, deliverance has come to our house today.